Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Did John Cooper win Game 3 with some key line changes? Well, Tom Jones thinks so. We'll debate that. And we'll get you ready for Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals with the Caps tonight in Washington. The Tampa Bay Rays, they're streaking again, this time in a positive way. They sweep the Royals behind a big day by C.J. Crone. And what did Brenson Buckner, the Bucks defensive line coach, tell Gerald McCoy to do that he has probably never done before? All that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Verstick. Before we get started on this podcast, let me tell you about a special offer from Audible.com. Sign up now and get a free 30-day trial. That's as a listener to this podcast, you're also going to get a free audiobook. Just go to audibletrial.com slash sportsday. That's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial.com slash sportsday for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. So the Lightning now fresh off their 4-2 win in Washington Tuesday night. They're going to try to even their series at 2-2 in Game 4 tonight, of course, in D.C. And uh, it's going to be a tough task, Uh, I think, that – you know, we saw the Lightning on Tuesday night. They got big games from all their All-Stars, as it turns out, Steve. I mean, you, you look at who made the All-Star team, Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, Victor Hedman, Braden Point, Andre Vasilevsky, all are the ones that led their 4-2 to win on Tuesday night. And uh, they also got a little help from Coach Coop. That's right, John Cooper. And what's a guy to do? I guess, you know, when you're down – 2-0 and thoroughly dominated the way they were by the Caps on home ice in game one and two that allowed 10 goals and really not being able to handle Washington and even strength. Well, John Cooper did, I think, what a lot of coaches would do. He made some some line changes. And, and they weren't wholesale by any, by any stretch, but, I mean, I think, I think they worked, certainly. He took J.T. Miller off the Stamkos-Kucherov line and added Andre Palat. And so that meant breaking up what had been – probably their best line uh, in the previous series against Boston, certainly, uh, breaking up Palat and Tyler Johnson and Braden Point. So he adds Yanni Gord to them. And then JT Miller goes down with, uh, I guess, Anthony Sorelli. Um, the line he didn't touch was Chris Kunitz and Callahan and, and Paquette. So, you know, those guys are still just, you know, destroying people and setting the tone physically for everybody and doing all the dirty work um, that's, that's helping the Lightning. But, you know, we can talk about this. I mean, I, I think – you know, and Tom Jones wrote about this, and he, and he made he made the argument uh, in the Tampa Bay Times. If you want to check out his story on TampaBay.com, that you know Cooper's not going to get a lot of credit for it necessarily. He's not really asking for it, um, but but he he called them kind of gutsy moves um, to change some of these lines up, and and because it works, um, you know you, you're likely to see the same the same kind of things again uh, in terms of the matchups, but. I don't know, Steve. I don't. I don't know that this is incredibly gutsy. Um, I, you know, what was the alternative? I guess he could have stuck with the same lines, and you know, had they won and he done and he done that, everybody would have said, "Well, look, he's showing faith in his guys, and it paid off." 
Um, or he could have changed, and if it didn't work, if they lost and they were down 3-0 heading into tonight's game four, everybody would have said, well, you know, at least he tried something. So, I mean, it's not like he broke up Stankos and Kucherov or anything. Yeah, gutsy is not the word I would use for these the, the line changes he made on Monday or um, Tuesday night. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, look, your team played the worst two games of the playoffs by far. You've got to change something. Now, you know, did he pull the right moves? It sure seemed like it. But even, yep. you know, even he said... What we were doing in games one and two wasn't working. Now, you know, much as, you know, yeah, we tweaked our lines. Was that the recipe? I, it was the way we played. That was the recipe. And we had to find what we were doing wrong. And there were a few things we were doing wrong. And we adjusted to that. And we put a huge focus on, you do these three things... And we will, the result may, like, we'll be better. And we were. And, um, yeah, did it help that guys moved around a little bit? Was a little fresh energy? It probably helped out a little bit. But we played better as a team. And that's what, that's what ultimately allowed them to, I mean, these line changes, I mean, you're changing one guy on each, on three of the lines. And mm-hmm. I, I think they were the right moves. I think it, it obviously, it worked out. Damkos and Kucherov both scored. But of course, both are on the power play. Hedman scores. Braden Point scores. There was a lot more energy. They played a much better game. They played more simple. Their penalty kill was better. Um, There's a lot mm-hmm. of reasons they won the game. I, I don't think – I wouldn't use gutsy as a as a shaking up the lines. That, that's not how I would describe it. But I think Cooper made the right moves, and he, he should be given credit for that. Yeah. No, and, and I think that's what um, – I think that's what Tom was trying to do. And he said – he called him – I don't know if he called him – he didn't really call him gutsy. He said they were masterful, and, and I guess if you – mastered the game you know certainly uh, you could use that adjective um uh, i i would say that you know putting putting like palat you know with stamkos and kucherov i mean those guys on defense can be liabilities at times and so you got a grittier uh guy to go with them that's that's certainly you know maybe going to help their line a little bit probably did um but you're right they played better i mean they um you know they they went through the neutral zone with speed you know they um, weren't you know held up at the blue line every time they they did they did things they needed to do they found some open ice you know they got it out of their zone um, you know they they made Washington get back on their heels a little bit on defense so there's the way they played I think is much and, and look this contributed to it that's for sure um, but I I mean I I don't know what his alternative was I guess I guess he could have done nothing or. You know, or, or I, think, I think the gutsier thing is to do nothing. Yeah, if you're going to say gutsy Probably. after playing your worst two games, of the yeah, playoffs, ten goals. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think doing nothing would have probably been more gutsy. Although, you know, I, I think he needed to make changes. I still personally would have liked to have seen Corey Conacher come in the lineup, probably for Tony Sorelli, who I don't think has has done a lot this series. I don't think he's played bad, but he's just, you don't notice him. You don't, you don't see a lot of stuff out of him. I would like to see Conacher maybe to give some energy. He didn't do that. He stuck with the same, the same lineup essentially uh, just switch, switch the lines and it worked out. And you know, that's what coaches do. Yeah. And five on five is where uh, they had been struggling. They still got the two power play goals, as you mentioned from Stamkos and, and Kucherov, um, you know, but I mean, you look at it and as Tom wrote, he said, you know, players play coaches coach. And the better players you have, the better your players play, the smarter you look. Um, but, you know, the Lightning players played better because the coach did his job and did it well. And who says he's more about motivation than strategy? Well, I don't know if that's been 
sort of the knock on Cooper that strategically he's not that advanced that he's more about handling guys and I think I think coaching a lot of it is psychology and trying to get you know trying to get your team through certain periods of the season um, that go you know better than others um, but you know I mean look they they slept as Tom said they slept walked through the first two games I, I don't know that they had anywhere to go but up I also think there was look I, I don't think you can dismiss this Washington's history is a thing in that building. Um, they lost their first two games against Pittsburgh. Uh, they they have a history of not getting this far because generally they're, you know, even in years where they were the best team in hockey and had the best record, um, they flamed out early. And winning at home has been a thing for them at times. So, you know, now, of course, that creeps into your psyche and, you know, the crowd is certainly aware of it and it's sort of a here we go again. I think they're going to get a much better effort tonight in game four because they know what's on the line. I mean, if the Lightning are able to win this game, um, you know, and come back home 2-2 with a lot of wind in their sails, um, it's it's going to be a, a much different series than if they were to lose this game. The series isn't over, but, of course, you have a game-clinching uh, situation, you know, at that point in, in, in at Amelie, and they got to win all their games. So, uh, including one back in Washington in order to win the series. So that's, you know, this obviously will will sway it one way or the other, and I wouldn't expect them to do uh, a whole lot different. There, there's one, there's one other thing that um, that that Tom wrote, and we talked about this with Tom the other day. Um, I asked the question, you know, if if John Cooper, and at that point they were down 2-0, you know, it, certainly if they were to get swept or if they were to go down 3-0 and lose in five, something like that, um, would would there be talk, or, or or do you think there's any consideration um, by the Lightning, by Stevie Eisenman, or anyone else that they would make a coaching change. And it sounds on the surface, it sounds a little ridiculous because all the guy did was have the best record in hockey this year. Um, you can go back and look at the years that, you know, he's taken a team to the Stanley Cup Finals. They lost a really good Chicago team, I think, in six games. Um, they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals to a really good, you know, Penguins team that went on to win the Stanley Cup. So it's not as if – and then there was injuries too, right? And you had Bishop getting hurt and having to play Vasilevsky when he was very, very young in the postseason – there was a lot of other factors, Tyler Johnson and others. But having said all that, three times in four years you make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and you have no cup to show for it, especially if you get swept by Washington um, or lose in, in you know, say, four, four, four or five games, I would think there would be a discussion about it. I don't know what Eisenman thinks, and you don't know what Eisenman thinks. Um, and he may this may, might be silly talk, but Tom wrote that uh, – you know, it could have blown up in his face, these these changes that he made. He says, had it, had the Lightning lost, the two emotional fans who doubt Cooper's ability would have again um, shown their lack of hockey knowledge by flooding Twitter with hashtag fire Cooper tweets. Seriously, that's crazy talk. I don't know if it is. I mean, Well, it, I, I think, and we discussed this the other night on the podcast too, that yeah, it, you get to Eastern Conference Final three of the, the last four years, you don't mm-hmm. win the Stanley Cup in any of those you maybe have this year. You probably have the most talented roster in hockey. I think so. There's a question of: Are you Tony Dungy, who can't get this team to the next level? Which is what the right. Blazers decided with the Bucks back in 2002, and they right. went out and got someone they thought could get them to the next level. Not that Cooper's a bad coach. Not, and I, th- I think not there's, there's Dungy an was a Hall of Fame coach, absolutely, and he went on to win yeah. a, a Super Bowl in Indianapolis. But yeah, I, I think there's got to be a legitimate thought in Steve Eiserman's mind of is he the right guy to get us to that next level and, and I think you evaluate and the answer, that the answer 
who knows what Steve Eiserman thinks. Well, I, you have that's what an executive should be doing is evaluating. Should their, be. I mean, yeah, you, you evaluate absolutely. the players every year and decide, you know, what you're going to do. Absolutely. You're doing that with your staff too, whether it's, whether it's coaches yeah. or even trainers or, you know, you name it, you're always doing that and evaluating. Is this the person that's going to get us to the, you know, the best chance to, to reach our goals, which is the Stanley cup. I, right. I think there, there has to be a discussion of is Cooper the right guy? If, if, especially if they lose to Washington in four or five games. Now, obviously four games, not going to happen. Now they won game three, but you know, if, if they look bad again, game four, and, and could be five yeah. games, it's it's. I, it, I would assume there's a discussion or a thought in Steve Eiserman's head. Now he may quickly dismiss it and say, "No, Cooper's our guy." I don't know. Right, right. But, but it's a legitimate thought to consider or ponder. Well, you never. And the other thing about this is, and this is even true with the Glazers. And again, I know I'm I'm trying to conflate, you know, uh, or equate, I guess, uh, you know, hockey with with the NFL since that's what I cover, but. Um, I think organizationally, it's always the same. I mean, first and foremost, Heiserman doesn't strike me as an impulsive guy. <laughs> I think he's very calculating. Um, I, I think that you know, he's, you know, like any GM has a list in his mind. I mean, what if what if Cooper, God forbid, got sick or, you know, there's you had to have a coach. I mean, you have to always know sort of where you would go. But he's not going to make an emotional decision right after a playoff series. You know, like there would be time that would pass where you sit down with the owners and you sit down with all your hockey people and, and the players and you evaluate all the players first and then you go through your management and then you kind of you kind of do an autopsy on the thing, you know, and then and then you really have you want to take the emotion out of just having lost a series or uh, you know, lost the Stanley Cup final and and you know, really take a step back, take a little time and then and then make your decision unless there's urgency and you've already made up your mind going into it and this just confirmed what you thought and you want to move quickly on another coach. I mean, one of the things that, you know, hurt the Glazers was they had decided Tony Dungy was not going to coach. But if you remember at the time, the plan was to hire Bill Parcells. They had a guy they were going to. And in fact, two weeks before Dungy was fired, they had a signed agreement with Bill Parcells to coach the Bucks. The problem was he backed out after they fired Dungy. And so then they were left, you know, at the altar for the second time as an organization by Parcells, and they had nowhere to go. So it became a 36-day search, which at the end of it, uh, after offering Steve Mariucci the coach head uh, GM job that he that he wavered, uh, waffled on, and before he could make up his mind the next morning, they called out Davis and gave the farm for John Gruden. Now, you know, you could say, well, they got John Gruden. Well, th- that was not the plan. The plan was Bill Parcells. But nonetheless – um, it worked out for them. And so, you know, you just you, you don't know, you, you know, you got to decide sort of like, this is a terrible this is a terrible analogy, but I think it's kind of true. If you're going to divorce your wife, don't think it's because you think you're going to marry your girlfriend. You know what I'm saying? Like because mm-hmm. that, that relationship might fail. Um, so if you've got somebody on the side and that's why you're leaving your wife, that's a bad idea. Um, you you know you, those decisions that divorce whether it's coaching or whatever has to be made because you know this is not right for you um, and it's not in the best interest of everybody so uh, I I think before they would get to that point with Cooper and again I think it's crazy talk a little bit now because frankly I think the Lightning are going to win the series um, I might be the only one that's, that there might be a lot of people that believe that but I really think this thing in Washington I mean if they if the Lightning play their game and the Capitals play their game. I think the Lightning's a little bit better. I don't. I can't tell you exactly where. I mean, I you know, I think Ovechkin is a beast. I think that line is next to unstoppable in some ways. You know, you certainly can't take penalties and you can't do certain things. But Vasilevsky, I think 
played as well as you can play. 36 stops the other night. He was phenomenal when he needed to be, and they needed him to be on the road in a big game like that. Um, you know, I, I just think they're deeper. I, I think when they play the way they're supposed to play, they will beat the Capitals most times. And um, in a seven-game series, that should bear itself out. But they got behind the eight ball, and, you know, if they lose tonight, then it's going to be, you know, down 3-1, and now you're talking about having to win all of them. So um, that that will probably be a monumental task. But uh, Well, here, here's the Cooper, other side of the, the coaching side, too, and here's another example that hits a little bit close to home, but Theo Epstein mm-hmm. with the Cubs had Rick Renteria, very happy with him as a, as a manager. Right. But then Joe Madden becomes available. Mm-hmm. And he says exactly. Joe Madden is a better better person for my organization to get him to the next level, and he made the move. He wasn't going to make that move. Rick Renteria was not going to be out. Right. Had Madden not opted out of his contract when Andrew Friedman left, then That's Rick right. Renteria would have been the manager of the Cubs. I mean, you know, so those kind of things happen too. So, you know, like we talked about the other night, you know, any decision Iserman's made on Cooper most likely has been made already. Yeah, this will confirm it, perhaps. Yeah. But there, there's always there can there's be things that happen that can change. Yeah, absolutely. But it's right. not, like, it's not like he hasn't he hasn't been evaluating him the whole time he's been a coach with him. Yeah, but I think you I think you probably I, I mean yes I I would agree with you that you know if first of all if he thought he wasn't the right guy he wouldn't have started this year. Well, okay. ex- they, exactly, and that's what I'm saying. They the decision maybe yeah. maybe Cooper is my guy. Period. That may be right. the, That and, may be what his thought and decision making is. Well, let's we let's know. agree. Let's agree that, like after every season, he evaluated a situation and they missed the playoffs last year, as you know. Okay, well, at that point, having been to the Eastern Conference Final and a Stanley Cup and, and not getting over the hump and then missing the playoffs, I mean, you missed the playoffs, okay? Injuries injuries were a big, big story, especially with Stamkos. So, but at that point, they had to evaluate it and they go, you know what? He's our guy. That's mm-hmm. the right guy. And then he goes out and, and finishes with the best record um in, in in hockey essentially so or in eastern conference so you've confirmed your decision to stick with him right then you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. he did his job you stuck with him they went out they balled you got some pieces towards the end they've they've won two playoff series in very easy fashion and now they're you know i mean the competition level steps up every every time you advance in the playoffs so um the capitals are a very very good team and now you're now you're kind of behind the eight ball a little bit, but I don't think to this point that there's been anything that would not, you know, sort of confirm his initial decision, which was to stick with Cooper. Um, but you're right. I mean, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. We'll see. You know, if these next two games they just get absolutely curb stomped, and there's bad effort and bad execution and you know uh, mistakes, you know, too many men on the ice, or I mean, who knows how it goes? I mean, that those are all factors. You know, um, so we'll just have to see. But uh, I. Hey, everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. I personally believe they got a little a little momentum and a big jolt, and I, I think that that building is going to be as nervous as they've ever been in Washington, and if the lightning come out... If the lightning did, score first. Oh, 
There's going to be That's some puckering. Be. There's going there's to be some people headed for the – yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that'll be interesting. So I uh, I spent some time. Um, oh, oh, by the way, before one... we, before we move on from the Lightning, Steve Eiserman, a yep. finalist for GM of the Year. Oh, forget it. Well it's deserved. Over. He's gonna he's gonna win. Well I deserved. Mean, really? So he's one of the three finalists. Has so. he won it before? By the way. Yes, back in 2015, when the Lightning made the Stanley Cup run and lost to Chicago in six games, Eiserman was a finalist and won GM of the Year in 2015. Uh, lots of great great moves he's made this year. Yeah, I think he's gonna win again. I mean, I, I don't. Look, I'm, I don't have the, I don't, couldn't evaluate everybody that he's up against. But if you just look at the mere fact that, um, you know, they had not made the playoffs last year, so you know they they had to kind of put this thing back together a little bit. And uh, with all the deals he made, starting with Jonathan Drouin going to Montreal, that's that's, you know, certainly a, a move that they that they liked um, getting Sergachev, and then um, you know, of course, getting all the Ranger players and J.T. Miller and. I will um, say though, I don't think guys. he's going to win this year. You don't. I think George McPhee of Vegas will. Ah, uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely. In Winnipeg's, right. uh, Winnipeg's shovel day surprising. off. Shovel day off. Um, you know what? He's going to finish third now. <laughs> yeah. Well, but but yeah, Vegas. I I I really don't know how you cannot pick Vegas as. GM. No one's ever done what they're doing. Yeah. No one's ever never now. You know, but, let's not. But Eiserman well deserved for being yes. a finalist. Absolutely, he should be recognized. But let's not forget too that Vegas had the advantage when you pay eight hundred million dollars for a franchise. There's only five hundred million. Well, okay, five hundred million for a franchise <laughs> between friends. Um, you're going to get the, the the rules were such that you, you you know there were some pretty darn good players that were not protected. There yeah. was, but you know, from every but from everything from evaluating to hiring a coach oh, to it's putting incredible the system together, yeah, it's to, incredible. What you know, did. these players. It's not like the Lightning who come into training camp, and most of these players have played with each other, and you can switch lines, and they all know the system. And this, you're bringing everybody in from outside, and it's starting from scratch. I mean, yes, these players have experience. It's not like you're bringing a bunch of rookies up, but totally. It, it, you know, that's a job well done. And, and you know, Seattle, quite frankly, has its work cut out for it. In a couple of years, when they expand. Yeah, well, the bar is set pretty high by yeah. Las Vegas, and Todd Lewicki is running that group out in Seattle. So, yeah, he'll do well, and I think Seattle will be a good city for for hockey again. I mean, I I like I like Las Vegas. Las Vegas's organization is pretty cool. You know, they got a lot of people from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers out there. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. Um, that are running uh, their various departments as well, not the hockey operations per se, but you know, marketing and things like that. So, um, it's a it's a pretty exciting franchise and. I don't know. I don't know who's going to win that series, but uh, but it's a good one for sure. So uh, let me say this again. I, we were out at One Buck Place. I was um, on Wednesday, and we had a chance to uh, talk to Mike Smith and the defensive coaches, uh, assistant coaches for the most part. And starting with the guy that I'm so impressed with every time I talk to him, and I covered him as a player, I think I think maybe he might be one of their best acquisitions, and that's the defensive line coach. Brenton Buckner. If you're not familiar with Buckner, if you follow the Bucks, you know who he is because he was on that really outstanding Carolina defensive line with Julius Peppers and those guys that after the Bucks went to the Super Bowl in 02, Carolina went the next year in 03. Um, and it was, in, it was in large part because of that defensive line. And, um, you know, he talked about the previous year actually actually coming down to Tampa sitting in the, uh, the the stadium at Raymond James and watching the Bucks destroy the San Francisco 49ers and and he, he told the story about how you know 
in Tampa, it was the defensive line that everybody got excited to have introduced, and they were the guys that drove the bus. And so he went back and told Julius Peppers, hey, we have to have that swagger. We have to be the ones that, that make this happen. Well, he's coached in Arizona, and he did very, very well out there as a defensive line coach, and now uh, he's here in Tampa Bay. And as a former player, you know, there's not – really there's not a lot of former players uh, that, that had a lot of success in the NFL that go on to coaching because, as you know, it's a, it's, you know, it's a thousand hours a week. It's, um, you know, uh, something that if, if you're a highly compensated player, you played enough time in the NFL, it's not like you're going to do it necessarily for the money. Um, but Buckner kind of got into it accidentally a little bit. I mean, he started with seven and nine year olds and and moved his way up from there and just uh, kind of got the coaching bug. And so here he is. But uh, when we had a chance to talk to him, we know all the changes they've made on the defensive line. And what was really interesting is talking to him um, about his approach with Gerald McCoy. And it's hard to believe that, you know, Gerald McCoy is 30 years old now. And this is he's going into his ninth season in the NFL. That's as long as Warren Sapp was in Tampa Bay. Think about that. It, feel, it felt like Warren Sapp was here forever. We know he went on and played a couple of years with the Raiders. But McCoy is now going to equal the number of years that Sapp played here. And he has a chance to equal the number of Pro Bowls he's been to. He's been to six straight Pro Bowls. He's led them in sacks every year since 2013. Um, but he's only had you know two winning seasons uh, from the time he's been here. And at no point, even with those winning seasons uh, in 2010 and then again 2016, did the Bucks ever earn a spot in the postseason. So now he's got all this help. Well, you know, it was interesting because Buckner uh, said he sat down with McCoy uh, and he wanted to talk to him about improving his game, but it wasn't about how he's going to improve by getting stronger or getting faster. It was about improving mentally and allowing guys around him to sort of take over a little bit and not feel like he has to do everything. And I sat down and watched film with him. I told him, the way you're going to improve your game is mentally evolve your game even more. And he wants it. He's hungry for it because he's, for nine years, eight years, he's done the same thing, been successful, but it hasn't showed up for the team. So now I'm challenging him personally to go to that next level, not get stronger, not get faster, Get, play the game up here. Know what they're going to do to you before it happens. Be smarter about it. Embrace your teammates around you, and then just watch it grow. Because I don't need a Superman. I need a whole bunch of super friends. So among uh, McCoy's super friends that he can be thankful for, and I think Jason Light did as good a job as he could do, because these guys don't just fall out of the trees. I mean, it's, it's hard to find productive you know, defensive linemen, um, whether it's through free agency or the draft. Uh, but they started by, of course, signing Bo Allen, the defensive tackle from the Eagles, and Mitch Unrein, who uh, has played a lot of places, but most recently with the Bears. Uh, and then they signed one of Allen's teammates, Vinny Curry, who, who you know they didn't know if Vinny was going to become a free agent when it started. They actually uh, did not do a, a sort of renegotiation with the Eagles, so uh, he became available, and he's somebody that uh, was part of that rotation. You know, the Eagles were so good and so deep on the defensive line that they kept those guys fresh. And Curry, you know, really probably could have done more because they took him off the field a lot on third down. He had four and a half sacks. He could have had a lot more. Um, so he comes he comes over to Tampa Bay. And then, of course, the biggest headline was the trade they made for Giants defensive end Jason Pierre-Paul, who is, you know, now even though he's 29 years old, came back, of course, from that horrific hand injury with a fireworks accident several years ago. Um, well, you know, I think the year afterwards he had like 11 and a half sacks. I think he had 
uh, close to nine, nine and a half a year ago, but he played a million snaps uh, last season. So he's, you know, he's a durable guy. He's a, um, you know, certainly an established edge rusher, which they haven't had for the Bucks in quite some time. And then finally, of course, we know they used the 12th overall pick to draft Vita Vea from University of Washington, who's a little different body type and, and that sort of thing. Uh, I'll say this for Mike Smith, because we talked to Mike Smith on Wednesday. Um, he doesn't try to sugarcoat just how bad the Bucks' defense was a year ago and how they had to do something to rebuild the defensive line. It's got to be a hell of a lot better than what we put out there last year. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've, I've said it many times, uh, you know, the numbers, the numbers are not anywhere close to what we've got to, we've got to do. We've got to be more consistent in everything that we do. And it starts in the in the meeting rooms and building trust with one another across the board. And I think that's the most important thing. So we kind of know what you know how they're going to rotate these guys in and out. What we really don't know, however, is what this Bucks defensive scheme is going to look like. And right now, this is like phase two of the offseason workout program. We're not quite into the OTAs just yet. Um, so they're kind of in their individual groups and this sort of thing. And they're just working on, you know, technique and, and fundamentals, things that are going to help them throughout the year. But once they get these guys, you know, together and, and start sort of competing, and there's going to be a lot of competition, uh, that's when Mike Smith says that he'll have a better idea of what they're going to do. Well, I think he knows now what they're going to do. But it, what's going to be interesting is what happens now sort of with McCoy because always before this defense, um, you know, McCoy has always sort of thrived in playing in this 4-3 scheme where – uh, he's the under tackle, which means in an under defense, he plays on the weak side, which is away from where the tight end is. So he'll switch, you know, sides of the defensive line, um, you know, based on the alignment of the offense so that he's always on the weak side. And his main job is to get upfield, pressure the quarterback, and, and stop the run um, in the gap between the guard and the center on whatever side that he's lined up at. Well, you know, I I don't know, but the, you know, there's there's been talk about a lot of different schemes, including sometimes you're going to jump into a three four. Uh, I don't think that'll be all the time. We saw some of it last year. You wonder if they're going to if they're going to be head up on offensive linemen, or are they going to uh, want to penetrate or just hold the line of scrimmage? You now got this big body with Vita Vea. What's what's his role? Um, so Mike Smith made it clear that you know what, it's not all about Joe McCoy anymore, and. Uh, they've got to figure out just how he fits in to what they're going to do. Again, I think that it's I think it's going to be evolving. We know this. Gerald McCoy has been a Pro Bowl player for a long time. He's obviously the the best uh, player on our on our defense. Uh, but we're not hey we're not going to pigeonhole and say that we're going to say that we're going to build it around one person. We're going to build it around what gives us the best opportunity to you know to succeed and it may be that he's going to line up as 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 the three technique so whatever the bucks do they're going to have to get pressure on the quarterback again they were last in the league in sacks last year with just 22 and that's why all these changes have come about but we also know that they were pretty bad on the back end too um they got brent grimes back but he's 35 years old vernon hargraves you don't draft a guy in the first round and and be satisfied with him now playing inside as a slot corner which seems to be uh, what he's gonna what he's gonna end up doing, which still gets him on the field, you know, sixty six percent of the time. But uh, you know, Mike Smith said today that he's told Hargraves come in and, and act as if you're going to be a starter, you know, outside and then uh, at every position, move inside and play every down, and we'll see how it goes from there. Um, but they had to go get some some young defensive 
backs, you know, in particular to sort of uh, address that situation. When talking to Buckner, uh, you know, when you're playing, you know, the likes of Drew Brees and Matt Ryan and Cam Newton twice a year, um, you know, you know how how much that defensive line is going to determine how well the secondary goes. And Buckner made it clear that as a defensive lineman himself, he could not see any reason to blame somebody on the back end for giving up a long pass. We just had that talk today, and I was telling those guys, I've never blamed a defensive back for a long pass or giving up a whole bunch of yardage because we are the cl- we're closer to the quarterback before the receiver is on the route. So we affect everybody's job. And so we, we stop the run, we keep the linebackers free, their job is better. We get to the quarterback, the defensive back's jobs are better. And so with that type of responsibility, we got to work hard and expect it from ourselves and not just look for anybody. We the big brothers. We're the foundation. You build a house on a shaky foundation, I don't care how many bells and whistles you put on it, it's going to collapse. So we come in there, we land the foundation that Smitty can build whatever he wants to on this defensive line. That's what we work on. So today we'll go back over to One Buck Place. We'll have a chance to talk to their offensive coaches, and it'll be interesting to talk especially to offensive coordinator Todd Munkin now, who's going to be their walk-around offensive coordinator, as you say, uh, no longer coaching the receivers, so he'll have an impact uh, not just on the receiver position, which you still keep his hand into, uh, but also uh, everything uh, from the offensive line, the running game, and, and I think most importantly, another voice uh, in the head of Jameis Winston because you know, Munkin's a pretty sharp guy. He's done a great job just you know, from a psychological standpoint of preparing Mike Evans and uh, some of the guys that he's impacted on that offense, especially at the receiver position. So it uh, be nice to talk to him and some of the other offensive coaches to see uh, just how things are shaping up on that side of the ball. Meanwhile, the uh, the Rays, uh, as I said, they sweep the Kansas City Royals. You know, you got to give it. I mean, it, I, I keep going back and forth with this team because, frankly, they keep going back and forth. I mean, they got off to the horrific start, and then they got really hot, and they had, remember, all those games where they scored eight runs or more and got really, really close to 500, but haven't been there since March. Um, and they, But they flirted with it. Then they go to Baltimore, and they lose three out of four to a really bad Orioles team that was just – Really hot, including getting just absolutely drubbed on the way out of Baltimore, seventeen to one, by the Orioles. But then they go into Kansas City, a place that they traditionally have never played very well. And even though the Royals aren't a very good team, they sweep the Royals, which is hard to do, uh, as Kevin Cash said after the game. It's tough to do what we just did on the road uh, against any team in Major League Baseball. And you know we played clean games, we got big hits, and we had big pitching performances. So now it's on to Anaheim and um, C.J. Crone, I, I guess. C.J. Crone has really got to be feeling pretty good about life because he's really, really hot right now, and he's going back to play his former Angels team. Hits home run number 10 already on the season, which is uh, pretty good power for this ball club. And I thought Jake Faria really didn't have great stuff. He got behind a lot of guys in the, in the you know, uh, walk some people and a hit batter and and but struggled but but kept them kept him in the game. He didn't get through five innings, but he kept him there. And then the bullpen did the rest. And Alex Colomay now, Steve seems to have straightened himself out a little bit here. All of a sudden, yeah, third straight save. He got all three saves in the sweep, and it's the first time the Rays have swept Kansas City in Kansas City since two thousand nine. So nine. That's seasons. incredible. Yeah, yeah, normally that's a house had, of horrors for them. They went one in sixteen until the end of last year. I think they mm-hmm. won a couple games in Kansas City late, and I mean. I mean, it wasn't even close. Like they, those games, they, one in sixteen. I mean, that's that that was definitely uh, a house of horrors for them. But yeah, they managed to sweep the Royals and we'll end in a third time zone on this road trip. So we'll see if they can adjust to uh, West Coast time. So their game 
will actually be coming on about the time that about the what, third period the of the lightning period? game. Yeah, because it'll be mm-hmm. a ten what ten ten start something like that ten oh five Eastern. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be about the start of the third period for the lightning. So as that game's winding down, you can flip over to the Rays game. Yeah. Big sports night, and uh, usually how the lightning goes, the Rays have gone lately. So uh, maybe they can set the tone for uh, for the Tampa Bay teams. Hey, we oh, and also, glad that also you guys... Christian Arroyo yeah. called up. Carlos Gomez put on the disabled list with the groin injury from the other night. Matt Duffy not put on the DL. He's day-to-day. They think it'll just be a couple days. But Christian Arroyo, the, uh, the big piece of the trade they got for Evan Longoria, the prospect mm-hmm. back, he was called up. So he did not play today. He made it in time for the game but did not play today. Expect him to play some in Anaheim because he's called up now for at least uh, a few games. One of the first young guys and, and a guy that's local, right? A guy from uh, from around here. So, mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Hernando High, story. Yeah, Hernando High School, yeah. It's a good story. A really good story about how his mom was was the biggest you know impact in his life, and um, they play that inside the Rays all the time. So, yeah, we'll watch him. Uh, in the meantime, though, we're glad that you guys are, are with us and following this podcast Getting a lot of great feedback from everybody. We're here Monday through Friday. And uh, like I said, we'll get you set uh, for uh, recapping uh, game four tomorrow. And then we'll also uh, you know, have the, uh, the Bucks offensive coaches, some reaction from them as well as uh, what goes on with the Rays uh, later on in Anaheim. But uh, we, we'd like to interact with you. You can always reach us on Twitter at SportsDayTB, at SportsDayTB. Or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud or by email at rstroud or rstroud at tampabay.com. Love for you to rate and review this podcast, and where can they get it, Steve? Well, the best way to do is subscribe to the podcast. You can do that through iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, or, of course, any third-party podcast apps you may use. You can do that, too. Or if you're not sure where to get it, go to tampabay.com slash sports. The latest episodes are always right there, too. Really appreciate you guys listening, and enjoy Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals, see if the Lightning can even up this series two games to two. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. For Steve Burstink, have a great day, everybody. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today, we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us.